Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. However, this, of course, is the internet, so you can listen to this whenever you feel like. Tonight, my guest is Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science, and we're talking about the thing that everybody is talking about all of a sudden now that Trudeau has actually used the words, and that's the Great Reset. But we're also talking about how Climate alarmism has become an excuse to limit the free expression of not just skeptics, but really anybody. Now, if you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get access to my show, which, of course, I think is worth the price of admission. But you also get access to Ezra's nightly Ezra Levant show and David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup. It's only 8 bucks a month to subscribe. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus subscription by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnews.com slash subscribe to become a member and now please enjoy this free audio only version of my show Free speech, media blackouts and the great reset I'm Sheila Gunn Reed and you're watching the gun show Friends over at Friends of Science, that little upstart organization that tries to give a more science-minded assessment of just how much us pesky humans affect the weather, is hosting an online event that discusses how climate activism undermines free thought and free speech. And speaking of which, some Canadian filmmakers are experiencing a bit of a media blackout when they tried to promote their documentary that tried to give a more balanced take on the global warming debate. And everyone is just now talking about the Great Reset now that Trudeau used those words. The Great Reset is really using the pandemic to rewrite our economies in a more green way, which of course means a less efficient way with more centralized control by people who don't know what they're doing. But Friends of Science has been talking about the Great Reset for months because they are regular watchers of the World Economic Forum. Now, today's interview runs a little longer than my interviews normally do, so I'm just going to get right into it. Here's my interview with my friend Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science that we recorded yesterday afternoon. Joining me now from her home in Calgary is good friend of the show, my friend, Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science. Michelle, thanks for joining me. Um, Before we get going, um, it's the days of the COVID and, you know, we 
aren't allowed to do a lot of big events in person anymore, but that hasn't stopped Friends of Science from organizing an event with Donna Laframboise. Um, you've got an upcoming event about how climate activism is stifling free speech. That's right. Uh, Donna Laframboise was uh, our speaker in 2012 when she exposed the IPCC as being a delinquent teenager, um, you know, unwilling to clean up its act and filled with all kinds of uh, nasty habits. Um, and she was a big hit back then. And she's gone on and done another book and she runs a great blog called bigpick.com. Um, but uh, we decided to invite her and she was supposed to be speaking live last year in April, of course, and our, our event was canceled. So we moved it online. It's going to be December the 8th at 7pm Mountain Standard Time. And people can either take out a membership, which will give them free access to this event and others, or they can just buy the one time ticket for $15. So uh, I think the membership is a better deal because you also get the whole package of Friends of Science membership, uh, extracts, CLISI, our reports, press releases, and you can subscribe or unsubscribe according to what your preference is on those. But it's uh, a good deal. And uh, Donna is a free speech advocate. She's the former vice president of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And she really believes firmly that you know, no matter what your position is on climate change, there should be an open debate about it. There should be open civil debate on these things and people should not be run out of academia or denigrated, called deniers. So she's got a very interesting methodical presentation that I think will really enlighten a lot of people about what's wrong with attacking and denigrating somebody who disagrees with you. So we really look forward to that. December 8th, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if all goes well, we will have her presentation and then a live chat with Donna. So registered guests can send in questions which will be fielded to Donna. And um, I think it'll be a great evening. It's our first online event. So we are doing our best and uh, we look forward to making it work. You know, I'm very excited because Donna is one of the civil libertarians of old, um, you know, in the times of the COVID. Civil liberties are really being stomped on, and yet we're hearing a lot of silence from the so-called civil liberties organizations outside of, I guess, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. They're really on the front lines of a lot of this. Um, and it's... It's strange how far, and I know this isn't really climate change related, but it's strange how far things have fallen away since Donna left the organization. Uh, oh, the civil liberties. Well, I don't know all the history there, but I do notice that they are pretty quiet about a lot of different civil liberties issues where you'd think that people would, in, in that capacity would speak up. You'd think that most journalists would speak up for freedom of the press, but in fact, um, I'm not going to give away too much of the show here, but one of the key points she brings out is the Winnipeg Free Press yes. wrote a, an op-ed that, you know, deniers should be denied the right to speak. Uh, like, And she followed up with the editorial staff there because it was... Um, you know, um, the, the perspectives editor had put it together. Um, and, but it was really a, an editorial from the whole editorial department. And they were like, no, that's our position. <laughs> and it's like, how can that be? 
Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be a newspaper. You're supposed to be in favor of free speech and open debate, different points of view. Um, guess not. So very odd. Yeah, especially at a newspaper called the Winnipeg Free Press. <laughs> yeah. um, True. Good point. And- and we've seen this sort of crackdown on free speech from within the media. We've seen it with Rex Murphy, where, where his own colleagues at the National Post uh, sort of spoke out against him because, you know, he expresses opinions that are not woke enough for that for, you know, for the rest of the National Post colleagues. And instead of, you know, arguing these things out on the editorial pages of a newspaper, they just much rather shut you up. It's very... Um, fascinating to watch, but also sort of frightening to watch that this is the state of journalism in this country. Yes, no, it's terrifying to watch because once you don't have freedom of speech, then you have tombstones. If you ever read the book called Tombstone about Mao's era in the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward in China, where 36 to 48 million people died, mercilessly died in horrible circumstances in the same kind of struggle sessions we see now in the media where people glom on and and attack an individual um, uh, and relentlessly go after them until they comply or submit. Um, You know, that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing open civil debate. And when you look at Amartya Sen, who was um, um, a UN envoy, and he's an economist, and he did a study, I think it was 1995, I can send you the clip, but he studied all, he and his group studied all countries in the world, and they found wherever there was a free press, there was no famine. But when there was no free press, there was famine in the land. So that's how serious it is. Um, Speaking now of the state of the media, that's a pretty great segue because you folks at Friends of Science have um, done some work promoting the, uh, I guess it's a a movie, documentary, but it's pretty balanced. It's called Global Warning and it's by Matthew Embry. And there's been pretty much a media blackout um, Mm -hmm. about his movie. And I think it's because it actually provides some balance to the climate change debate as opposed to the Greta Thunberg, one side, we're all going to die. We've got, I don't know, what is it, nine, ten years left to live? Um, <laughs> that sort of hysteria. He doesn't do that. And so, again, there's sort of this cone of silence falling over top of his, me- of his movie. Yes, well, Matthew Embry is a Calgary filmmaker. He's got a great track record. He's done a number of award-winning films. Um, He's uh, been uh, publicized all over the world for his film work. And last year he did this film called Global Warning with Super Channel. And they sent out all kinds of press releases and got one interview. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, he just really had a media blackout. So, um, they asked us if we'd like to promote the film. And just so you know, we do get a small percentage of the video on demand fee, but their, their fee is like $6. So, yeah. you know, uh, it's a nominal portion of that. Uh, but um, we did some interviews with him to, to meet the filmmaker so people could get to know the person behind the film. What an interesting young man. Uh, he really throws himself right into these topics. And in this film, he made every effort to interview everyone from every side of the story. And so 
you know, he does it from the point of view of a Calgarian watching his city crumble and yeah. trying to find out why and trying to find out, well, where's the valid argument? And he found valid arguments on many sides. And you see that in the film. It, it's really touching and it's very powerful. But what the thing I found most interesting is that he actually has Catherine Abreu, who is one of the top 100 most influential people in the world on climate change. And he follows her around at uh, COP24. Uh, and he, uh, 24, yeah, 24. And, and she allows him to come to a meeting where she gets to meet face to face with the climate change negotiator just before they go into negotiations. Like, would anyone in Alberta, for instance, ever have that opportunity? Anyone yeah. from, say, Cody Battersell, would he be able to go in and advocate for Canada Action and all the unemployed yeah. people? I don't think so. But anyway, that, was, that just blew my mind. And the fact that he was able to do that on camera was fantastic. So it's really a great film. And, you know, I understand we may be going into another lockdown. So it's a, a good way to spend an evening, start a little discussion with your fam family and friends. Maybe a well, good gift. <laughs> Well, I, you and I were talking off camera. I'm going to reach out to Matthew because, um, first off, I don't like uh, media blackouts on opinions that the mainstream media doesn't like. Because usually when it's an opinion that the mainstream media doesn't like, it means it's actually a mainstream opinion <laughs> held by the public. Um, and, you know, the fact that he's a Calgarian talking about the destruction of his city um, because of these weird climate policies um, what a great firsthand account, but also the fact that he went to the UN Climate Change Conference, COP24, and had access. Uh, he probably won't have that ever again, <laughs> just based on personal experience. Uh, yeah. They probably won't have him back. So uh, I would love to talk to him. So, um, yeah, I will definitely reach out to him. Um, yeah, and another person that they ran into was uh, Dr. Fritz Verenholt, who was also in Germany, and he made time available for them to come and interview him. Now, Dr. Verenholt has a long background as an environmentalist. He was really one of the first environmentalists over there back in the 70s, an advocate for wind and solar. But as time has gone on, he's found, he was an expert reviewer for the IPCC. He found that there were many errors in the IPCC reports that he sent to them. They did not correct them. And he's also um, found over time that really, you know, there's a true limit to renewables on the grid. They may be complementary, but they cannot be 100%. And he explains that in the film. But, you know, this is from the voice of experience. This is a, a really incredibly well-rounded person who's gone through the whole gamut of, of environmentalism and industry ac activity. So he really, really knows his stuff. So great film in that regard too. It's funny how many people are, for lack of a better term, aging out of the environmental movement. <laughs> and I think it's because they've seen one too many doomsdays come and go. And then they've seen the practice application of the ideas of the environmental movement and have seen the devastation that they've call, caused or the ineffectiveness of the ideas of the environmental movement, like how green energy is simply complementary. It's not something that could ever power um, our economy, because really that's what we're talking about when we're saying the energy grid. You don't just need something that keeps the lights on in your house. You need to be able to power and fuel uh, a robust, active 
reliable economy that continues to grow and grow and grow. And that just can happen with renewables. Yeah, and oddly enough, the University of Calgary just put out this paper based on the IEA report claiming that now solar and wind are cheaper than natural gas. Oh, okay, but they just don't work. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, here's a group of economists at the U of C Public School of Public Policy who just know zero about energy. It's, it's astounding that people in that position are able to publish these kind of reports get press in the Calgary Herald, and yet this film, which exactly tells the story of energy and the collapse of the German economy because of their efforts to try and go in that direction, and it's the voice of experience of someone who actually worked in that industry and is knowledgeable on climate. He's also a professor of chemistry, you know, so Varenholt has all this background author of many peer-reviewed peer papers on climate change, that doesn't get the headline. You know, it's funny because it seems that Germany was the uh, ground zero for a lot of these bad ideas. Yes. And it's also ground zero for a lot of the, um, for lack of a better term, coming to Jesus <laughs> for a lot of these yes. climate activists. I mean, we've, we've seen uh, Ryan Pools, who, uh, you know, he, he, was working in Germany, although he's a Dutch filmmaker, you know, he talked about how in one of his movies, how, you know, the push towards green energy is actually causing food insecurity, yes. you know, and it, and, yes. and it was, it, it's a feel good idea to move to biofuels and look, we can actually just grow electricity. Like we grow food, <laughs> but then it's like, well, you only have so much arable land. Where do you, where are you going to grow the food now? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll make it in a lab. See? <laughs> so now we have a whole new industry of lab-making food people or food-making lab people. Isn't, isn't that fascinating? You know, we used to be able to farm food and animals on the land. Now we've decided to use that land to uh, grow biofuels, corn, not to feed the animals or to feed the people, but to feed the cars when we used to just get that out of the ground underneath the land <laughs> and then grow food on top of that. And now we have to grow our steaks in a lab. What have yeah. we done? <laughs> what have we done? Um, I wanted to talk about um, one of the recent reports. Oh, no. You know what? We'll get to that in a second. I wanted to talk to you first about new contributor that you guys have Kate Wand. Usually yes, we Kate, just Kate. we just see Michelle Sterling's smiling face over at the Friends of Science YouTube page, but you've got a new girl on staff. Well, no, she's not on staff. She's a contributor, yeah. um, but she's a, a wonderful young woman who I ran across because uh, she had done a piece on Drew Godofridi's book, The Green Reich, and Drew is from Belgium. So Drew actually sent me a clip saying, well, look at this. Do you know this girl? You know, which is always so funny for someone in Canada because Europeans, <laughs> you know, always kind of tend to think that if we, they know someone in Toronto and right. we're in Calgary, we probably know them too. Right. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, but she's uh, down East and uh, she's done quite a bit on aviation. Um. And she's followed the track on aviation and noted that the climate movement is now hijacking the aviation industry. And Robert Lyman had written a number of reports about that for us last, late last year, uh, noting that they were trying to 
impose uh, carbon offset regulations on airlines, which, you know, most airlines already struggling were like, please stop hurting me. So now what they've done is, you know, the, the great reset COVID lockdown has completely cratered the airline industry and they're all desperate. They're all just like hanging by a thread. So now she's reporting that in, in uh, Europe, governments are coming in with a bailout, but they are imposing these formerly voluntary carbon offset arrangements and taking a portion of the company in return for the, the financial um, contribution, which you might say would be fine if it were, you know, a limited time frame, like for, I don't know, five years till we can bail you out, you know, you pay us back. But that doesn't seem to be the case. But anyway, she did a whole big uh, collection of pieces on air, airline hijacking, hijacking of airlines, aviation, I think it's called. You know, and uh, that's one of the pieces that we saw. And then she, since she's in Ontario, she went and interviewed Robert Lyman. <laughs> which was fantastic of her own volition. And they continued talking about how climate change has now become this kind of messy umbrella that's covering every single thing in public policy, but it's actually destroying almost every single thing in public policy as well, because it's completely unbalanced. And, uh, you know, the objectives desired are not being met by any of these policies. You know, it's that speaking about aviation, that's a really quite a neat scam the government's pulling there. They close your industry by yeah. order of the government, then yeah. they offer to bail you out with, yeah. I, I guess, your own you money. A little bit of water. Yeah. It's they, good. I like the water. Okay, you want a full cup? Well, then you're going to have to do this. Yeah, they offer to bail you out with your own money. Then you have to give them an ownership stake in the company that they have ruined through an act of their own government. Oh, and by the way, you have to run it exactly how they say. And I can't even think of anything more inefficient than a government-run business. It's well, insane. Yeah, the other thing that goes with that, if you've ever read George Monbiot's Here's the Plan from 2006, one of the things that he advocated for was a personal carbon ration that you could use to, you know, apply to your heating bill, your travel uh, by car or airline flights. And if you run out of these carbon rations, then you just buy more from someone who has some they aren't using. <laughs> well, who would that be? <laughs> yeah. Al Gore, perhaps. Al Gore. Yep. <laughs> so, but, you know, you can see how this is, a step further down that slippery slope because now if the airlines uh, are forced to deal in carbon offsets well now it's an easy slide to say well if you want to fly you know then you're going to cash in some of your ration so what a scam <laughs> yeah, huge scam now uh, I alluded to a report that Friends of Science has done rebutting Gerald Butts because Gerald Butts although he's no longer in the Prime Minister's office he's not gone away and he's never going away. I think he's going to plague this nation for a very long time. And you folks have a report rebutting his five bold moves. That's right. Um, we did this uh, just shortly after the, um, the speech from the throne. But if you look at the five bold moves report that the task force on resilient recovery, which is made up of a number of people in smart prosperity and also Mr. Butts, if you look at that five bold moves report, which is its subtitle, and you look at the speech from the throne, there's 
curious confluence there. And um, so we did an analysis of the uh, task force report. And it's in a, it, our report is called Penury or Prosperity? Uh, what is Canada's future? And we also have a short video overview of it. One of the things we found, first of all, is that the whole thing is fraught with conflicts of interest, foreign money, um, just like the tar sands campaign. Um, and Parker Gallant did a lot of that research. Uh, then we also went through the task force report. They, they did kind of a geopolitical overview saying, well, look, this is what France is doing. They're putting lots of electric cars. We should too, you know, and here's how much money the UK is spending. We should too, you know, let's retrofit all our buildings too. So, you know, they're kind of doing this copycat thing, like those guys are leaders. And if we want to be a climate leader, we better copy them. So we went through and did a geopolitical analysis showing that in every one of these countries, there are factors that might be relevant for that country. And the best example is probably France. France has lots of nuclear power. So for them to go all electric vehicle, it's not such a big deal. And it's a fairly temperate climate. It's a fairly small country compared to Canada. And it is also um, quite well wired already with infrastructure, high voltage infrastructure, and, and a very dense population. None of those things apply in Canada, none of them, not one. So, you know, their big pitch was like, let's go all EV and let's electrify Canada. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the things we debunked there. And then the second part of the report, penury or prosperity, we go through step by step and look at things like hydrogen. Um, one of the people we work with uh, quite closely is Professor Samuel Ferfari, who's from the University of, uh, uh, of uh, Free, um, uh, Free University of Belgium. And he's, um, he was working on hydrogen for the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years. He's been a chief advisor or a key advisor to the EU on energy issues. And he's just published a book called The Hydrogen Illusion, because hydrogen is not the next thing. Sorry, but it's not. <laughs> and he's done all the hard work on it. So we detail that in our report as well. Um, and there's another one. We found uh, one of the people who's a contributor to this group of the task force. Um, she had been advocating for more First Nations uh, renewables projects. And she cited the Coesis Band First Nation in Saskatchewan and how they put up a, um, a wind farm with battery and how great it was. And it only cost a couple of million bucks. Well, it turns out it costs more like $9 million. It turns out that the power from it is about three times the cost of regular power. And by comparison, you know, she had said, it's too bad we didn't do more of these because think of how wonderful it would be for First Nations people. Well, we found that the Taltan people in BC, by comparison, they were the beneficiaries of a $150 million power line that was criticized at the time. But this power grid transmission line went to the mines in BC. And now more than half the band is employed at these mines. They're making great money. It's bringing in $8 billion to the BC economy from this one crazy power line. So, you know, that's a great infrastructure investment that has yielded multiple benefits, whereas the Coesis uh, band experimental wind and battery farm 
it's money down the drain because it's you know this is not suitable for for Canada it didn't create any jobs for them to speak of and you can't export that energy you can't make more money from it you know it's it's not an exportable product so um, so that's what our report does it it looks at all these things breaks them down down and debunks a lot of the ideological views of mr. butts and crew you know it's funny and, and exposes the conflict of interest it's funny to see people still pursue these weird wind farm dreams when over and Edmonton is doing it right now, using 50 plus uh, acres in the river valley um, to put up tens of thousands of solar farm panels to provide, I think it's one, tw- one fifth of the power on the best of days for the water treatment facility there. And they raised the money by overcharging ratepayers for the last few years for it. And they're doing this after Medicine Hat decided our solar panel, our city run solar panel facility has been an absolute boondoggle. I think theirs cost almost $10 million and they're ripping the thing out. And then you just can't throw it in the garbage because it's toxic waste. When, if we want to talk about indigenous prosperity, pipelines, (laughs) pipelines, oil sands development. We only have to look at Fort Mackay to see the success or um, the recent partnership uh, between uh, TC Energy. Um, Mm -hmm. They're the owners of Keystone XL Pipeline. um, And, you know, they've joined together with Natural Law Energy, which is um, a First Nations conglomerate um, from Treaty 4, Treaty 6, and Treaty 7. They're investing $1 billion into that pipeline here's hope it goes forward and, and, you know, Joe Biden doesn't cancel it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, that the thing that people don't realize is that you, you want exportable products, right? Like minerals can be exported, exported oil, gas, coal, all these uh, forestry products. These are exportable things that other people buy. And when they buy them, the country gets money. But if you're just putting your money into renewables here, then actually you're paying money probably to China because that's yeah. where most of the renewables are made. And, it, and it's just a drain on the taxpayer's purse. And even more so, as you say, it's the one in Edmonton is subsidized by taxpayers. We did a paper that you, you and I talked about in our last interview where the U of A was advocating for wind and what a fantastic thing <laughs> it is. Well, we showed how millions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies are going to wind farms millions of dollars and we're never getting that money back in energy and it's not an exportable product well except in ontario where they give it away yeah (laughs) at taxpayers expense (laughs) right what while people there are doing their laundry in the middle of the night to avoid (laughs) the peak usage charges now i want to talk to you about one thing that I noticed the other day when I was poking around on the Friends of Science YouTube channel, as I tend to do, um, you folks were on the case of the Great Reset way before everybody else is talking about it. Um, You know, that's the language of the World Economic Forum, but now it's also the language of Justin Trudeau. He's used that phrase, Great Reset, Um, even though the mainstream media is saying, that's a vast right-wing conspiracy, this uh, (laughs) Great Reset. Um, But it is the language of the World Economic Forum. And you folks had a video months ago talking about it when the rest of the world is just catching up now. 
Uh, yes, well, we've been tracking the World Economic Forum for some time, and actually in part because of our uh, working with Clintel, because uh, quite a few months ago, Clintel sent a note to Dorg uh, Bende, who is the uh, CEO of the World Economic Forum, telling him, hey, there's no climate emergency, like, cut it out. So we started looking into more and more of what the World Economic Forum was advocating for. You know, uh, we've done quite a few videos on them. One of them was about Davos depopulation. Like, yep. just before COVID hit, these guys had uh, one of their Davos fests, as usual, and uh, Jane Goodall was talking about how if only the world had only 500 million people, um, a, you know, like it, these really ridiculously small numbers and everyone's like really engaged on that. They think that's a great idea. You know, like let's reduce uh, the population. Well, you know, and what's happening right now is that population is being reduced and it's very creepy. But um, when you look at the World Economic Forum website, you can find all these things. And if this is a conspiracy theory, then there is a Danish MP who is right in on it because she wrote an article blog for the World Economic Forum saying, I've forgotten what shopping is. You know, I live in an apartment. I have nothing. When I go out in the morning, my living room is used by business people for a meeting and I don't mind that. Weird. I'm too bad about all the people we left behind who live in the country. And they, you know, I, I know that surveillance follows me everywhere and I have no privacy and I hope they don't use it against me. She actually says that in this article. You're thinking, this is a member of parliament? This person yeah. represents real people? Like, who would think of that? But, you know, this, this is uh, Klaus's book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And he's got uh, a couple of other th books. And one is called COVID-19, The Great Reset. That's the name of the book. <laughs> wow. And in that book, um, actually, it was Winter Oaks Press that did a great article about how crazy this guy is. Um, but in that book, he says, this is the least deadly pandemic of the past 2,000 years. And he's really excited that, for instance, um, well, we're talking on Zoom right now. He's very excited. In one passage in the book, he says, you know, look, Zoom's market cap is bigger than that of a U.S. airline. Isn't that fantastic? Well, not really. Zoom is very useful. I'm enjoying it right now. <laughs> I would rather have the real experience of flying to Edmonton and seeing Sheila Gunn-Reed or flying to Europe and meeting Drew Godafridi. I would like to have all those people in the airline industry employed. I would like to have that supply chain of food and all those little packaged items. I would like that to be in action. I would like to have the joy of traveling to a tiny, um, you know, island and nation where my trip there is going to be a big portion of their GDP. I think that's way more important than Zoom having a fantastically high market cap in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, like you, I'm, I don't have a problem with our economies evolving as technology changes, but mm -hmm. I want it to happen organically. I yes. don't want it to happen by the hammer of the government and their hand of intervention, where we've just decided that certain industries are no longer going to exist because they're inconvenient for us with what we want to do with the economy. Uh, these command and control economies 
never work. They always collapse at some mm. point. And in the meantime, there's utter economic devastation faced by the worker that the people making the decisions never have to come to terms with. Yeah, yeah, they don't really care. I mean, actually, and Kate Wand has just done a really great video about the morality of lockdowns, which is basically on that same point. Um, so might be good to look that up as well. Definitely. Um, now, Michelle, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I want to give you a chance to let everybody know, again, how they can support the work that Friends of Science does, and maybe give us the information for your event with Donna Lefremboise one more time. Okay, so Donna's event is uh, Climate Activism Undermining Freedom of Speech, Free Thought, and Free Choice. And that's going to be on, Mar on December the 8th at 7 p.m. And it's online. So we'll have our registration website up soon. Just keep an eye out for it. Uh, we are running an ad on YouTube so that you can get a, uh, you know, a sense of what, what it will be about. Um, and it will be $15 per viewer. Or if you get a membership, which could either be one year for $40 or three years for $80, then you will be able to access these events free of charge. Because we will have a subsequent event in January with Dr. Roy Spencer. Um, and he'll be talking about the main reasons why there's no climate emergency. And we're planning to do some more events with Clintel uh, over the course of the year as well. So, you know, you'll have access to a lot of good material. And um, you can find uh, memberships on our website. Just go to our website, friendsofscience.org, and you'll find up in the corner a donate membership button. Just click on that and you can go in and become a member and or donate as you see fit. And uh, we'd love to have you. And if not, you know, we've got lots of free material on our Facebook, our LinkedIn, our Twitter feed, our YouTube channel, our blog. So, you know, join us. You know, Friends of Science is one of those organizations that stretches every penny. Uh, you're, you're a small organization. You don't have big foreign funded backers like the environmental movement. Very science focused. You take these big, complex, scientific and economic ideas and break them down into digestible ways that people can consume the information and not just consume the information and understand it, but then use it in the world in mm -hmm. you know in arguments take those arguments out into the world and easily communicate them and uh, for you know for 40 bucks a year uh boy people sure get their money's worth thank you yes well we we hope so we think so yeah. we do our best well michelle thank you so much for coming on the show we'll have you back on again real soon definitely before your uh january event and maybe even um after your December event to just see how everything went. I, I'll probably be lurking in the Zoom call for that okay. too. <laughs> okay, well, and I just want to say to you, Sheila, and to all the viewers, I hope everybody uh, keeps their spirits up in these difficult times. And uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy Hanukkah. And hang in there, everybody. It's oh. tough times, but, you know, people went through World War II, World War I, the Great Depression, you know, read some of the uh, biographies and autobiographies and diaries of our forefathers and get some strength from it. So hang in there, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. May 2021 be way better than 2020. <laughs> what, a, 
What a great way to leave the show. You know, at times are tough, but as you know, Albertans are tougher. Thanks for coming on the show, Michelle. Thank you, Sheila. You know, thank goodness for Friends of Science and the work that they do on their little shoestring budget because, boy, oh boy, they are often very ahead of the curve on so many issues where climate change becomes the excuse to do so many things to us, like tax us, put us out of work, or limit our free expression. Imagine what Friends of Science could do if they had the budget of the big foreign-funded environmental movement. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.